Welcome to Becoming Referrable, the podcast that shows you how to become the kind of advisor people can't stop talking about. I'm Steve Wershing. Business development for professional service firms was turned upside down when the world went into pandemic just about a year ago. And among the most affected people were advisors who attracted new clients primarily through seminars. And the leader in seminar marketing, of course, is White Glove. On this episode, we talk with Brad Swinehart, Vice President of Channel Marketing and Business Development for White Glove. When we all went into lockdown, White Glove pivoted and refocused its attention from seminars into webinars. But whether or not you utilize webinars, you can use what Brad and White Glove learned um, to leverage the virtual environment to meet new clients and get referrals over the internet and social media. Our conversation includes what makes for a successful virtual event, how attendee follow-up is different from live and virtual events, and how to do it successfully virtually, and how to translate your presentation skills to the virtual environment. There's a lot of timely and practical advice in this episode. So let's get right to our conversation with Brad Swinehart. Brad Swinehart, welcome to the Becoming Referrable podcast. It's great to have you. Hey, thanks for having me on. It sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it will be. So um, White Glove it has, it has made its name offering a seminar system for advisors. And obviously, a lot changed when the pandemic came in. And all of a sudden, we couldn't get together in groups. What What's happened to you guys? And, and what's happened with advisors who had in-person seminars as a, as a big element of their marketing plan? Yeah, that's a great question. So... For us specifically, I mean, we went right into our probably our best month ever in February. We were doing close to 900 in-person events all across the country and the U or, or all across the U.S. and Canada. Right into March, where we did zero, and we were in the exact same boat as advisors of having to figure out what's next. Yeah, you know, what else? What else can we do? Um, luckily for us, we had just brought on a brand new CEO who in his previous company, ran webinars for professionals. They trained um, professional business owners through a webinar series, and they ran millions of hours of webinars. So he just knew exactly what to do. And he said, oh, this is what we're going to do. And we we were able to kind of uniquely pivot in the industry because we had the marketing down. We had our follow-up procedures down. We had a bunch of event planners that could now learn the tech of webinars and run that for advisors. So we pivoted almost overnight. Um, and what was really interesting was to see the advisors we work with, what their take on it was. And there was, there was really two clear groups. There was the group that said, you know what, this is going to blow over. I'm just going to wait. And then there was the group that said, hey, you know what, let's look at this as an opportunity and see what we can do to drive new business into the office. And, and you, so, so webinars were obviously a big part of that, but there's other things that you do. I mean, what, in, in general, what do you think that when you're looking at advisors who are succeeding at this and who are progressive in, in kind of embracing all of this change, what are some of the ways that they are getting in front of prospects now? Well, what's interesting is that physical handshake has gone away. And for a long time, advisors really relied on that, seeing someone in person, having them come into the office, you know, sitting down across from somebody. And that 
that was almost immediately ripped away from them overnight. And what we've seen and what we've um, put a lot of resources in to help our advisors is having a virtual handshake, if you will. And, and where that starts is really a, an omni-channel approach where you have value and credibility across social media, you know, emails, your websites, you know, be stockable online, all these things that advisors kind of ignored because it was like, let's just fill the top of the funnel right? That was always the go-to. Let's just put more leads in the top. But now prospects will absolutely look you up online before they ever decide to do business with you. And we wanted to make sure that we were able to support advisors in those efforts. So we we pivoted. We put a ton of resources into you know a podcasting platform that we just launched. We do social media management for advisors, very hands-free, so they don't have to learn what Mark Zuckerberg's doing in the back office at Facebook. We'll do that for them. Uh, but it's it's really to increase their credibility where their prospects are going to find them. And the advisors that have that, the advisors that are, you know, credible in their network, their their captive network, those are the ones that are actually converting those now virtual leads into actual clients. So I've heard a lot of advisors say over time that, you know, it's it's all about the personal connection. You have to have a personal relationship. You know, it's all about getting belly to belly with with someone <clears throat> before you can build up the rapport to um, to to uh, to to um, make them into a client. I, so either what 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 were we missing in that or what 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 are the actual things that do that or what's changed that you know, now enable advisors to attract clients without that kind of in-person uh, interaction. What's interesting is so many different industries have the same business mentality, right? It's a relationship business. And that's, that's just sales 101. People work with people that they like. It's not always the, the, the best lead magnets. It's always, it's not always the, you know, the, the superstar person that they want to reach out to people will work with people that they like. And outside of the financial industry, people have been doing that virtual for years. I mean, white glove, we do 98% of our sales totally virtually. I have advisors that I, I would consider very close friends that I've never met in person. And what you do is be able to become, you know, referable, relatable, and a real person digitally, it, there's so many outlets right now that advisors have to look at as opportunities and not something to be scared of. There's too many advisors that I talk to that say, ah, I don't want anything to do with Facebook or I don't use LinkedIn. I don't know what it's for. And those are opportunities to not only showcase your professionalism, but showcase that you're a real human being. And people use that. You know, if you're, if you're going to do business with somebody, you know, the first place you go is LinkedIn. Say, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to go stalk Julie on LinkedIn and see if she's credible. Okay. That's great. I know she's credible. Well, now I'm going to hop over and see if I can find her on Facebook and see what she's like as a person. And if you can have a professional, but personal, uh, you know, appearance on both of those sites, you've already put yourself ahead of somebody that's uh, staying away from the social media game. Can we talk about that piece of it a little? Because I, I know that this idea of showing, say, a personal Facebook page or, or sort of letting the professional world see that creates a bit of angst for some people. Um, do you think that's just fundamentally changed or, uh, you know, how should advisors think about that? 
I think it's uh, both that it has changed, but also just the understanding what each platform is designed to do and what people expect. There's a different online culture for LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram even. And when you understand that culture, what people expect you to be posting on there, what you expect to see when you pull up your feed, then you can really dive into how you can make yourself relatable in those mediums. Mm -hmm. So LinkedIn is very professional oriented. You know, you there's not a lot of memes on LinkedIn. There's not a lot of likes or emojis. It's it's professional content. It's value add. It's education, information, right? That's that's LinkedIn. It's it's designed to be more for professionals and business owners. And your prospects 100% look at it to stalk you because they know, hey, if Brad Swinart is credible, he's going to have a LinkedIn profile and I can see what he's up to. I can see that he's you know, running a webinar or doing a podcast or whatever. He wrote a book. They, they can find those things on LinkedIn and stalk you and they absolutely will. I just read a um, study not too long ago. It said over 70% of prospects are going to research a professional on LinkedIn. You know, and then you take a step back and you look at Facebook. Well, what's that really designed to do? You know, if you're constantly pushing business, business, business on Facebook, that's not why people log into Facebook. People log into Facebook almost as a, a break from reality. They they log in there, they express emotions on Facebook, right? They they share things they like, they laugh, they joke, they have memes. So your business, business, business mentality isn't going to play well there. You want to have a professional presence. You don't want to get on there and go crazy about this opinion or that opinion. But you also want to showcase, you know what? Here's a picture of the the newest coworker as we're all working from home. It's my it's my 13-year-old dog and she sleeps all day. You know, that's something that people can relate to. Or here's here's my office staff. We had a Zoom virtual happy hour on Friday and we're real people and we care about our our families, we care about our staff. That type of stuff plays very well on Facebook. And if you can kind of understand the differences between, you know, business on LinkedIn for stockability, professional yet personal on Facebook, that's how you really have that virtual handshake. So when people are looking you up, they find what you want them to find. And when you when you think about the kinds of topics, like what are some of the, uh, I hate the word best practices, but I'm going to use it anyway, just <laughs> when it comes to social media, what should advisors be thinking about right now to, to create more engagement and connection? I love uh, best practices and thought leadership are probably the two that <laughs> yeah, I hear yeah. all the time, right? Yeah, I know. Um, <clears throat> but you're right. There's no better way to put it just yet. If you invent one of those, then that could be a new brand for all of us. And then right. we'll be, we'll be <laughs> right. the entire, um, I think we'll people use up. best practices and they mean examples sometimes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> right exactly. And that's really what we're <laughs> Yes. I think we need to be best practice thought leaders. Yeah. But. Ooh, yes. Yes. Here's my, here's my thought leadership, best practices. Let's talk about that. <laughs> for a Go. So, you know, what we see performs best, you know, post something, you know, maybe four to five times a week, you know, on different, you know, Facebook and LinkedIn, that's probably um, right up at the, the top of the most that you need to be posting. Twitter, you can post 10 times a day. It doesn't matter. That feed moves so fast. It's you're not going to drown out your audience. LinkedIn, make sure you're you're keeping it a little bit more on the, the professional side. Facebook, you know, do that same thing, but add in a few of the personal posts. Let them know that, you know, you go out to dinner. Let them know that you ran a, a charity race, that sort of thing. Once COVID ends and we're all doing that again or, you know, um, how that works. And then one thing that I think 
anybody using social media for either prospecting or building credibility, one thing that they forget to do is it's not always about showing your own content. You know, if you could go in on LinkedIn, for example, and you have a couple hundred prospects on there, let's say, if you went in every day and just went to a, a different prospect's posts or or what they're sharing and you went in there and read it, made a comment, you know, liked it, that sort of engagement, start a conversation going, that's going to go 10 times further than just reposting, posting, posting. So that's that's just something small. You know, let's just say you, you'd set out 10 minutes every day to hop on LinkedIn, you know, and just find your prospects and comment on one of their posts or your network, you know, find other professionals that you're doing and, and comment on that. And you're going to start building those relationships because it's, it's absolutely out there that you can connect with people that you'd want to be in your circle. And you can start those conversations very easily through social media. Yeah. What are the implications of, um, you know, having like a personal Facebook page <clears throat> that, um, you know, that, that prospects and clients can see and do, do or should people have multiple profiles or, or do, do advisors need to be careful about what they put even in their personal profiles or what, what, what's your advice to advisors about that kind of thing? Mostly what I see is advisors will have a, a personal page that's friends and family, and then they'll create a business page, you know, with their name and their, and their firm name or something like that. Um, you absolutely have to be careful what you're posting on, on either way. Make sure, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to post stuff on your personal page, you know, just pay attention to who can see that, who can research you because now information is absolutely free and it's sitting in, sitting in your hand, you know, six hours a day where they can stalk you online. So whatever you post on social media, just pay attention that, you know, your privacy settings and all that, that your prospects might see that. But usually on Facebook, you know, you can have your own personal page where you're talking about, you know, whatever with your friends and, and, and people from high school and all that good stuff. And then you can just make a business page on there. That's a little bit more professional that you can share your, um, you know, business practices as well as a little bit of your personal stuff on there. That's, that's what we would recommend for, for Facebook. LinkedIn's going to be kind of one in the same. And it's, it's really mostly just for um, a professional presence anyway. We'll get back to the show in just a moment, but I wanted to make you an offer in the meantime. This is Steve Wershing from Becoming Referrable. You know, with everything that's changed over the past year, your clients' needs and priorities have changed as well. How has their outlook changed, their goals? What do they think of how you, what you've done well during this trying time and what can be improved? A virtual client advisory board will give you those insights and more. Our proprietary system will teach you who to invite to your board, how to invite them, the best questions to put on the agenda. We'll facilitate the meeting and give you five deliverables. Just send me a note, steve at theclientdrivenpractice.com and put cab, that's C-A-B, in the subject line and I'll send you my free report, Seven Tips on Making Your Virtual Client Advisory Board a Success. Ask us about our virtual wine tastings, too. Send me a note at steve at theclientdrivenpractice.com and put C-A-B in the subject line. I'd love to talk a bit more about where we started, which was this pivot from in-person seminars. I mean, we've all become very used to webinars. We've all 
participating in them. How easy was it for advisors to pivot, uh, in your view, from the in-person type events to virtual? It was terrible. Can you be a bit Thanks more for joining definitive? It was terrible. Yeah, right. yep. um, <laughs> you know, one thing, one thing we immediately found out was that the technology was scarier than it was difficult. That advisors were a little bit worried. What if the sound doesn't work? What if my video doesn't work? How do I sit? Where do I put my hands? What, what do I do? Um, you know, White Glove made a very conscious choice to say, you know what, we're going to do that for you. We're going to put a human being on every single webinar we run, and we're going to handle all that stuff for you. So all you got to do is sit there and talk like we got you. We're going to train you. We're going to coach you. Don't worry about it. The other thing so that the technology was just a little bit more scarier than it was difficult. The other thing that we uh, very quickly realized is that it's a different it's not necessarily a different skill set, but it's definitely a different mentality when you're giving a webinar presentation compared to when you're standing in front of an audience. Mm -hmm. Simple things like not knowing if they're paying attention or seeing their engagement level. Am I talking too fast? Am I talking too high level? Am I talking too, too much in the details? When you're standing in front of an audience, you can judge by the looks on their face, by if they're falling asleep, by if they're engaged, they're leaning in towards you. And then you take all of those resources that professional speakers have used for years and you take those all away and now you're talking to a screen, it's a little bit intimidating. And what we found is shorten up the presentation. It's not 90 minutes anymore. It's 45 minutes. And make sure that you're you're staying very engaging. You have to speak as though everyone really, really cares what you're what you're saying. But then the actual platform of a webinar allows for so many more interesting ways to keep your audience's attention that just are not possible in person. You know, things like you can run a poll while you're speaking to your audience and they can fill it in. And then you can get immediate feedback on the screen of, hey, 75% of the audience felt this way or that way, or they've never thought about the tax implications on their social security, right? You can do that stuff while you're running a webinar and you wouldn't necessarily be able to do that in person or not as effectively anyway. The other thing, so, though, oh, go ahead. Yeah, so I wanted to ask about that because that that is that is an interesting, you know, and I'll, I'll sorry for interrupting because I, I would like to hear about other things that you can do too, but in, in regard to polls specifically, um, I've, I've participated in webinars, like I'm sure lots of, um, lots of the listeners have, where somebody takes a poll and then they just kind of keep going on. Um, and every once in a while, it's interesting to see how the group feels about something or to get that kind of feedback. But do you ever, do you ever see speakers who actually sort of navigate the presentation differently based on what they're seeing in, in polls? Or is there a way to sort of incorporate the poll results in, into the presentation itself? You know, the the short answer is is yes, you can do that. You can, you, generally speaking, the if you're going to run a poll, you're going to know what the audience has to say, right? It's like one of those things you're asking a question, even though you already know the answer. Um, but the idea, the, the real benefit of it isn't necessarily to change your what you wanted to talk about. The real benefit is that instead of scrolling my Facebook off to the side or playing Minecraft, I'm now clicking a button and engaging with the what the speaker wants to talk about. That's the that's the whole mentality, right? You're putting their their brain 
on focus mode, on interaction mode, on pay attention mode. And that's the real point of the poll. It could, you could ask what, what's your favorite color? It doesn't matter, but them interacting with you and then paying attention and then subconsciously thinking, well, I have to keep paying attention because he might ask me another question. And it's a really interesting thing if you think about it, that when you're asked a question, it's just ingrained in you at the deepest level that you have to provide an answer. Right. Yep. And I, and I might argue it also, there's also a benefit in, in, in seeing that other people feel the same way or differently. I think it's sort of another innate need that we have that creates a sense of community or, or something on, on that particular webinar, which is, you know, a separate, separate point. Oh, well, and, and, and Julie, to that point, I, I would say that that one of the power, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the powers of, of a poll is to overcome some things that people may not want to talk about. And if they realize, oh, we're, we're yeah. all in the same boat together, then it, it, it makes them feel okay about addressing it or, or admitting to it. Yeah. And there's this just natural, when you sit in an audience and you're, you're participating in a webinar, you're watching a, a seminar, any of that. When you sit in that audience, everyone says, well, their initial thought is, you know what, this isn't for me. He's not speaking about me. She's not talking about my situation. You know, I'm different than everybody else in this room. Mm -hmm. And doing a poll where they're answering the same or they're answering similarly, or they can see that other people are in the same situation as them. What that does is just brings you into the fold where, okay, you know what? this is applicable to me, I should be paying more attention. Yeah. Interesting. So, so, okay, I'm sorry, go ahead, Julie. I was just going to say, you sort of said that, so advisors, rightly, you know, or understandably, were struggling with some of the things that I think professional speakers have had to learn. You know, I, I've always joked that you could put me in an empty room and I would deliver in the same way as I did. <laughs> because you kind of, you get used to that, right? <clears throat> yeah, uh, right. And that's the skill that... <laughs> we're asking advisors to, to learn or to have what, what else was coming up in terms of obstacles? And I'd love to hear about how, you know, was that everybody or were there some advisors who just said, no, this is working for me and, and really made that work? Oh, sure. There was, you get those guys that are just good at everything. Right. And I wish I was one of those people, but um, they hit the ground running. They, they adapted, they tried it. They, recorded it, they watched it back and they said, oh man, that was terrible. I'm going to do it again. And that's something that um, advisors often struggle with is, you know what, let's review it and let's make sure that it's even better. We actually built into our process um, an option where the advisor can record a webinar before they ever host one with us. And we go through a hundred point process of these are all the things we watched a thousand webinars that advisors gave and we figured out the ones that, hey, these are really successful and, oh, these ones are not. Well, what's different? And we came up with a 100-point scorecard, if you will, and we'll grade that with the advisor and say, hey, these are things that we can improve on. So they're not practicing in front of prospects. But you know, there, there was those guys that knocked it out of the park right away. And then there's other people that tried it once and gave up. And then after the, the pandemic just you know, it's no, it's no longer five weeks. It's a year long. It's okay. What can we do? Let's, let's look at this again. And then by then we had enough data to say, Hey, these are the things that, that really work well. And this is what we need to focus on. I'd like to ask you a little bit about that. Cause yeah, I, um, 
you know, you'd said, well, there are these folks that, you know, do everything well. And so they had no problem with it. I, ju- I just want to make sure that that nobody listening to this conversation thinks, oh, well, I'm not good at everything. So this is not going to work for me. What, what, what kinds of what kinds of skills do you see? What kinds of things um, can an advisor do if they're contemplating doing a webinar that would that would help make that successful? I mean, it's really like anything else in life. You have to practice it. You're you know, I, I naturally have to do things about 30 or 40 times before I'm any good at it. So I'm, I'm hitting my, you know, 35th podcast. So maybe if you guys have me back on a couple of months, I'll be good at it. Um, <laughs> but really, it's, it's, it's translating your human self into a different setting than you're used to. And, you know, a lot of the same things you would do in person, you just have to modify when you're doing something virtually. And, you know, some of the, some of the things that advisors that, you know what, I'm just not comfortable presenting to my laptop. Well, we had a couple of advisors, they would, they put a big mirror behind their laptop so they could see how they were, they were speaking. There was that little bit of feedback there. They're like, okay, you know what, this works better. Or you, you push the laptop in front of you, you put your office staff, a couple of people behind it and you speak to them. And it's just night and day of how much better you get at doing that. You know, I was, I was very similar. I, I did a lot of in-person speaking in, in 2019, you know, standing on a stage, you're talking to people, getting their feedback. You tell a joke, it doesn't work. You move on. Right. And translating into a, a webinar format, the first few, I, I hated it. I was like, I don't know if anybody's paying attention. This is awful. I don't have that normal feedback that I get. You know, I can't see anybody nodding their head. I can't see anybody smiling. It's it's just totally just cramping my style. And that's just, just this isn't working. Um, and I probably did 40 webinars last year, talked to or gotten, you know, virtually in front of probably 10,000 advisors. And I love it now. I love it. And it's just, you just have to bring that energy back to it. So it's, you're not going to, you're not going to be good at it right away. You just have to keep practicing and, and get at it and get some feedback, you know, be willing, be coachable. That's, that's everything in life. Just be coachable if you want to be better at something. Well, and let me ask you, because we're talking about how to make this better, but maybe the first question we should have asked is why is this a skill worth developing? Like what, what is the impact and how are advisors using webinars? Is it prospects, clients, both? It's absolutely both. And this will never go away. And I fully believe that we just rang the largest and loudest bell and told every one of your clients and prospects that not only can they get that information without coming to see you, but they can sit at home in their pajamas and learn anything they want and do almost everything virtually. And there's going to be people that are just desperate to get back out into the real world. They'll, they'll go back to seminars. They'll, they'll drive down to the local library. And there's going to be people that say, you know what? I'm not comfortable with that. I'm going to stay at home and I'm going to, I'm going to learn it virtually. And there's people that are just going to say, you know what? It's just more convenient if I flip open my laptop as opposed to getting in the car and driving somewhere. So if you're an advisor that is unwilling to, to meet people virtually, to, to prospect virtually, to use webinars, you have to acknowledge that there's a certain percentage of your ideal client that will only do that. And if you're not willing to speak to them in that fashion, someone else will. Yeah, that makes Interesting. sense. Yeah. What, what topics do you find uh, are getting the most traction these days? You know, 
it's interesting enough because probably four or five years ago in the seminar world, we started really seeing um, an uptick in taxes and retirement. You know, how does how is your retirement affected by taxes? And when we would talk to advisors about it, it was I'm not a CPA. I don't want to talk about that. And it was like pulling teeth to get these guys to, to do it because the marketing was working so well and there was tons of interest in it. That topic in itself, um, the advisor world has has embraced it and there is consistent demand. You know, one thing that's nice about taxes is they're always changing. So people and nobody understands them and they absolutely will re, um, have an impact on your retirement. So taxes and retirement seems to be doing really well. And one of the topics that's actually outpacing advisors, um, advisors supply, if you will, is estate planning or generational planning. We have what we see on the marketing end is the marketing for that, the consumer demand to learn about how do I protect my wealth and make sure it gets to the grandkids. That topic is resonates very, very well in the consumer um, community. The advisor community is a little bit slow to pick up on, you know what, I'm willing to talk about that. And I'm willing to get in front of people and educate them on that. So the, the demand is actually outpacing the supply when it comes to, you know, the estate planning, generational planning type topics. And how do you, how do you gauge that? How do you, how do you determine that demand is exceeding supply? Well, I mean, we have a bunch of um, crazy algorithms and we have green zone technology that basically, and, and not to get too far into the weeds, but we'll take a look at a, a geographical territory we see what type of events are going on there. We analyze what type of ads are running in that uh, particular area at that particular time. And then when we layer on the, the financial data and then we use our algorithm to start running tests in that area, we can see which ones are going to tick up faster or are going to get a better response rate than others. Okay. So let's, so let's then, so we've done the, 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 the webinar now. Let's, let's go to the next step. What are the differences in following up participants and converting them into clients um, between webinars and the traditional in-person seminar. What's really interesting is you have a you have a lot of opportunities doing a webinar that you wouldn't necessarily have in person. You know, in person, you have your you have your event at six thirty. At seven thirty, it's wrapping up. You're asking them for the you know, fill out this yellow um, form, drop it off with Joe in the back end before you leave. And then the next day you're, you're hopping on the phone or shooting them an email and, and trying to wrestle those people into a first appointment. Whereas a webinar, what you can do is you can structure your presentation to have trial closes throughout. And what you can do is you can actually put your calendar right in the chat. You can put your calendar right on the screen. You can put a, a lead form on there where they can sign up and, and talk about something. Let's just say you were talking about taxes, right? And you you finish your first section and you say, now, if you have any, you know, if you want to talk about your personal situation as it ref reflects on how, what we just talked about, you know, grab a 15 minute meeting with me right here. Here's my calendar. And then you move on. Right. But you have that ability to do that multiple times throughout that virtual presentation so people can book at their convenience directly on your calendar using technology. The other thing that's really, really interesting is when you finish a webinar, let's say you do a webinar at six o'clock, it's 45 minutes. It's not even seven o'clock yet. And the webinar is over. You can actually call everybody that attended that webinar that same day, that same, if you, maybe you do one in the afternoon and you know, they're available because they just spent 45 minutes. Sitting right. <laughs> right. Now they're going to pick up the phone 
and a, a nice warm phone call to say, hey, you know what? Thanks for attending my webinar. I noticed maybe you had some questions. I just wanted to make sure if you, you could take this time to, to grab 15 minutes on my schedule um, or I can just answer them for you right now, right? But we saw immediately at the advisors that were calling directly after that webinar was over, we're seeing way higher book rates and much higher success. Um, and we actually added on to our service where White Glove will do that first round of calls. So that webinar ends and White Glove picks up the phone and calls all those people for that advisor trying to book meetings for them. But those those things are available when you do something virtual and they're not when you do them in person. And one, one final um, tip that I'll throw out there is that using video and using the recording in your follow-up sequence has seen massive conversions for us. So you can actually take a video of yourself, you know, shoot it to all the, the registrants and say, hey, thank you for attending or sorry you missed it. Here's the recording of the webinar. Please find a time on my schedule um, and we can go over your specific questions. But if you put your face on video in that email, and there's a lot of different cool services that'll do that, Loom or BombBomb, or you can even use Zoom to do it. But if you do that in the follow-up, then people get to see you and it's a little bit more of a, a personal touch. And that that recording is right there for them to watch at their convenience. Whereas a, a seminar, you do it and that message is gone, right? Can I ask you about when you are following up on behalf of advisors? Um, I mean, how's that gone where you, it's not the personal connection with the advisor? How do you make that, create that bridge? Well, what's interesting with our services when we market those events that we are marketing under an educational topic and then the advisor gets on as the speaker and presenter on behalf of, you know, taxes and retirement. And it's, there's some added credibility there because it's a five-star rated brand. It's rated by the Better Business Bureau. You know, it's, it's strictly educational. So it, it really lowers a bunch of walls already just being a speaker and presenter on behalf of, right? Mm -hmm. And when we make those, follow-up calls, we're able to kind of bridge that gap in that fashion. Hey, thank you for attending this educational workshop. I'm calling on, on behalf of the presenter. You know, let's let's grab a, a time slot on his calendar and we can do that directly for them. They don't have to re-follow up with somebody else. They can they can book right on the calendar after that event. Yeah, that, that makes sense when it's positioned in that way, right? It, it right. Feels right. Natural. <clears throat> Right. Well, so um, this is really good stuff, and I'd love to keep talking. We uh, we are at the end of our time, however. So, uh, in closing, um, you know, what would be what what would you suggest advisors think about doing? You know, putting on their to do list today to you know explore what new opportunities there are for uh, connecting with people, if they especially if they were doing seminars before. If they were doing seminars before, I think a lot of advisors either were a little bit afraid of webinars, or maybe they tried it once and they didn't see success. And what I would say is, you know what, shoot a webinar, give it over to White Glove, we'll take a look at it and we'll help you. And if you you don't end up using us, you, you go do it on your own. You know, we're still here to help. Um, but absolutely, like, just give it a try. And whether you do that to your clients or your current prospects, or you use our services to get in front of new households, webinars absolutely are going to be a staple of effective marketing moving forward. Okay. Well, you've sort of transitioned over to this already, but uh, where can listeners find you and White Glove if they wanted to find out more? Well, we try to make it very easy. So just whiteglove.com. 
And then I practice what I preach. So if they want, if anybody wants additional help from me directly, just stalk me on LinkedIn, Brad Swinehart. And uh, you should be able to find me on there and I'd be happy to answer any follow-up questions. Great. Brad, thanks so much for joining us. It was great to talk with you. Yeah, thanks, it was Brad. a lot of fun. As you promised, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks. Hi, it's Julie again. It was great to have you with us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really does help. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. Thanks so much for joining us.